Act 8, Ryan, The Riddled Chapter 1, Puzzles. Twelve years ago, Ryan Dragonfly found himself floating in a dark void, as if he had been submerged in ink. He wanted to use the scepter he had just inherited from his father to light his way, but the magical heirloom was nowhere to be found. All he could do was helplessly drift through the void, unable to move or speak. But just as he feared that he would drift forever, a luminous blaze burst into existence right in front of his face. Ryan watched in awe as the tantalizing flame began to dance around him, spelling out an enticing riddle. Seven came before Ryan. If you subtract the princess, add four more reigns to his domain. And then what gets vanquished? Present day. That riddle has haunted me ever since I was a child. Ryan explained to the magical High Commission and his queen as he looked out over the kingdom. Tomorrow was his birthday, which he had converted into a national holiday dubbed Riddle Day. The general mandate was for everyone in Muni to try and come up with at least one answer to the riddle. To help enforce this law, the king had set up special offices in every province in the kingdom where they could submit their answers, and the officers would choose the best answer and bring the applicant before the king. If Ryan liked the answer, then the person would be rewarded with fifty pounds of gold. If he didn't, they would be ejected from his castle via catapult. Unfortunately, Ryan was so concerned about the hidden meaning behind this riddle that he often neglected his more important kingly duties, pushing them off onto his wife or the MHC. Because of this, many of the citizens of Muni resented Ryan as their king. But he couldn't care less what others thought of him. He was convinced that the riddle was a warning of some kind involving the future of the dragonfly monarchy. It's the only riddle I've yet to solve. It drives me mad thinking about it. He fumed. That is why I created Riddle Day. If I can't come up with the answer, then perhaps someone else can. Jane Rochley, Ryan's wife, stared at him with contempt. That's why you insist on having this stupid holiday? She sneered. Because you had a bad dream when you were a kid? Don't take it lightly, Ryan snapped. I have a feeling it's some sort of prophecy. As if the scepter is trying to warn me about something. Or you could just be a paranoid nut who insists on neglecting his real responsibilities for the sake of a stupid dream, Hecapo remarked with disdain. In truth, the entire magical high commission shared their brother's sentiment, but they were less vocal about it. Ryan crossed his arms. Well, maybe this year, someone will solve the riddle of why you're an asshole. H-H-A ha 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 ha! Jane laughed so hard her eyes watered. Solve the riddle of why you're an asshole. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, he's hilarious. Hecapo rolled his eyes. I know. Jane exclaimed as her laugh slowly shifted into a calm giggle. That's why I can never stay mad at him. He he yeah. Ryan allowed himself a chuckle before he arched an eyebrow. Wait, why were you mad? Seriously? Jane scoffed. All right, here's a riddle for you, love. There once was a man named Ryan, whose obnoxious tendencies left me crying. This holiday does suck, and I don't give a fuck, but hey, at least I'm trying. What? Ryan raised his hands in frustration. That's not even a riddle. It's wordplay at best. Just then, 
three young children with different birthmarks on their cheeks burst into the room. Daddy, daddy! Lazaza screamed in anger as she leapt into her father's arms, wrapping her pointed tail around his torso. Ilstam keeps hitting me. I am not. The horned child snarled in demon tongue as he punched his sister's leg. Shut up, you little snitch! Jane rolled her eyes as she pulled her second oldest son by the horns away from her only daughter. Why are you like this? She furiously snapped as her youngest son walked in. Why can't any of you be more like your big brother? Ah, uh, because Simon's a big chicken, Nogad remarked, rolling all three of his eyes in contempt before punching his brother. And speak Newman, you idiot. No one but Mom can understand you. Don't tell me what to do. Ilstam slapped Nogad to the ground and began beating him to a pulp. Lazaza jumped down from her father's arms to join in the tussle. Ryan angrily grabbed the scepter and aimed it at his children. Levitato! Levitato! For Stump's sake, Levitato! Three pink bubbles of light popped out of the scepter's crystal and separated the half-demon children as they were lifted. Into the air. Ryan let out a tired sigh and looked up to the sky. Thank you, Dad. Now you three stay up there and think about what you've done, or whatever. I have more important things to worry about today. But before the king could leave, his squire entered the room. Excuse me, sir. Headmaster Atrocious has returned with the crown prince, and he has requested an audience. What? Ryan arched an eyebrow in confusion. It's only been a month. Simon? Jane was just as surprised. Am I Simon's back? Outside the castle walls, a gothic carriage awaited entry through the drawbridge. At last, the guard was given the all-clear and escorted the carriage inside. Once they arrived at the main entrance, the driver stopped the horses and opened the door. Out stepped a fifteen-year-old boy dressed in black trousers, a white formal shirt, and a fuchsia frock coat. His long, bright pink hair was tied into a ponytail in the back with his bangs in the front hiding his left eye. As he took his suitcase from the back of the carriage, every woman who saw him swooned at his beauty. This was Simon Dragonfly, the oldest and most soft-spoken of Ryan and Jane's children. The prince had been described by Indexia as an introvert with social anxiety, feeling uncomfortable around strangers, large crowds, and anyone he considered too scary to talk to. On the day before the boy was supposed to inherit the scepter, Ryan demanded that he come up with a speech for the event. But when Simon couldn't even muster up the will to speak in front of the magical high commission as practice, Ryan refused to hand over the scepter until his son could overcome his affliction. After a year of trying to deal with it, the king had his heir sent away to St. Olaf's Academy for wayward princes in the hopes that it would finally bring the boy out of his shell. The fact that he was home early gave his father the idea that he must have been cured. Ryan and Jane made their way down to greet their firstborn with their three other children in tow. The crown prince nodded with a meek smile. Hello, father. Hello, M.O. Dash. The boy was cut off when the queen rushed at him and scooped him up into the arms. My little crescent roll is back. Jane squealed with joy as she hugged her child tight, kissing his cheek. Oh, my baby! My darling! My pride and joy!
You have no idea how much I've missed you. Lazaza, Nogad, and Ilstam scowled at the sight of their mother's over-the-top displays of affection. As much as they loved Simon, it was no secret in the family that Jane obviously favored her oldest over her other children, causing a rift between them and their oldest brother. The fact that Ryan seemed focused on preparing Simon for taking up the throne did not help. Ahem. Everyone even Jane froze in fear at the sound of that voice. If there was ever a person who could put the fear of Stump into even the most hardened demon the underworld has to offer, it would be Headmaster Atrocious. Six foot five, one hundred and eighty pounds of pure muscle, always dressed in a clean mauve suit, and a perpetual frown plastered over his lips. His mustache and goatee hugged the outlines of the skin grafts on his cheeks, a feature he did not enjoy. Ryan cleared his throat, uncomfortably. Ah, uh, Headmaster Atrocious. I wasn't expecting you here today. How are Dash? If I may be so bold, King Ryan, I'd prefer if we spoke inside. Atrocious grumbled as he felt the heat of the children's stares. I can feel you staring at them. He grumbled without even sparing a glance. As staring, sir? Nogad gulped. Staring at what, exactly? Yeah, we're not staring at anything. Lazaza nodded nervously. Staring is rude. We have no reason to stare. Ilstam agreed. Ryan sighed. Simon, go with your brothers and sister while we talk with your headmaster. Why, yes, sir. Simon stammered once Jane let go of him. Once he was alone, the future king was swarmed by his younger siblings. As the three half-blooded children hugged him, offered to take his bags, and asked him hundreds of questions all at once, Simon nervously tried to avoid being caught up in their rough housing. Okay, guys, calm down. Easy, Ilstam. Please, be careful, that bag has my favorite kimono. Lazaza, Nogad, stop fighting. I it's only fun and games until someone loses an eye. Ryan watched as Simon was dragged away by his younger siblings. Okay, what the hell? He fumed, turning back to the headmaster. Why is he exactly the same as when I sent him away? Uh, yes, that's actually what I wanted to talk to you about, your majesty. Master Atrocious scratched his chin in contemplation. I honestly don't understand why you thought your son needed to attend my school. By all means, Simon Dragonfly is the most well-behaved prince to ever attend St. Olaf's Academy for wayward princes. I sent him to you so that he'd grow a spine, Ryan snapped. He's a whelp who can't even speak in front of five people. He needs to be whipped into shape if he's ever going to lead this kingdom. Oh. Atrocious scratched his skin grafts. Well, we don't really deal with that sort of thing. My academy mostly specializes in deviance with little to no respect for traditions or etiquette. Simon is pretty much the opposite of that. Hence his... Early return. I'm sorry if that's not what you were hoping for, but I have to get back to St. Olaf's. Good day, your majesty. With that, the headmaster bowed in respect before re-entering his carriage and leaving. Ryan pinched the bridge of his nose and let out a tired sigh. But considering that tomorrow was riddle day, 
he decided to temporarily brush his problems with Simon aside until he heard everyone's answers. The next day, Ryan put on his best suit and crown in preparation for his holiday. He left his dressing room and headed towards the throne room just as Simon was about to knock on his door. Not now, son, I'm busy, he declared as he power walked down the hall. Reginald, I need you. Nevertheless, Simon followed him. Uh, but dad, I just wanted to say dash. Reginald arrived at his king's side with a scroll. We already have fifteen top applicants ready to try answering your riddle, sire. Good, line them up in alphabetical order, Ryan ordered. And the other applicants? Dad, I just I really miss you and dash. Still pending, Reginald replied. But we're expecting at least ten more to be finished within the hour. Good, Ryan nodded, adjusting his cufflinks. And the catapult for all the terrible answers? Dad? Locked and loaded, your majesty. Reginald smiled. All you have to do is pull the lever. Excellent, Reginald. I knew I could count on you. Um, Dad? Ugh, what, Simon? What? Ryan finally faced his son, only to blink in confusion as he held up a box. H. Happy Birthday! Simon stammered as his father took the box. In truth, the king was so preoccupied with his self-made holiday, he had forgotten that it was also his own birthday. Deciding that he could spare a few minutes, he began to delicately remove the velvet ribbon and open the box. Inside was a pair of crystal-clear reading glasses framed with pure gold. Ryan arched an eyebrow, confused as to why his son would give him new glasses when he didn't need a new pair. The king closed the box and gently handed it back to his son. I appreciate the gesture, he replied. Simon's heart sank as he watched his father leave to hear all the possible answers to his ultimate riddle. On that day, seventy-five people were catapulted out of the castle. Chapter 2 A Troubled Family Ryan let out a tired sigh as he and his wife entered the psychiatrist's office. Jane, is this really necessary? Yes, it is, you stupid, worthless bastard, the demoness hissed bitterly. I can't believe you dash. All right, all right, let's calm down. The royal psychiatrist, Dr. Loxapin, spoke soothingly to his patients. Two years after Simon returned, the magical high commission had finally had enough of their constant bickering and ordered the king and queen to seek out marriage counseling. Now, Queen Jane, let's address the issue. Jane scoffed as she motioned towards Ryan. The issue? The issue is that my husband is a selfish jackass who puts pointless riddles above his responsibilities, treats his own son like something he wipes his boots on, and treats his own wife like some sort of plague. Ryan rolled his eyes in annoyance. Oh, don't exaggerate. You're more like an irritating scab. Let's get something straight. I am not doing this for you. I am doing this for Simon. Jane hissed at her husband before fondly glancing at a portrait of their child. I'd do anything for my little crescent roll. See, that right there is why he's the way he is. Ryan pointed accusingly. You've coddled the boy for too long. Okay, now both of you. 
Dr. Loxapin interrupted. Stop! If we're going to get through this, we need to be rational with each other. Now, Queen Jane, can you give us an example of why you think Ryan is a bad husband and father? Certainly. Jane huffed. It all started when Simon was born. In the medical ward of the castle, Jane Rochelay had finally calmed down after eight hours of labor. A tired but happy smile was plastered over her face as she cradled the baby in her arms. Simon had no horns, no tail, and only two eyes, but he did have his mother's lavender irises and pink hair. The doctors explained that due to him being Ryan's firstborn child, Simon's dragonfly genes would be more predominant than his Rochelay genes. But Jane didn't care. All she knew was that this was her child and she loved him with all her heart. At last, Ryan walked into the room. Jane! Are you okay? I'm sorry I'm late, but dash. I don't care. She breathed happily. Look, Ryan, our baby boy is finally here. Ryan smiled as he glanced over his wife's shoulder to look at his son, only to frown. Why is he so small? Jane scoffed. Ryan, he's a baby. Of course he's small. The doctors say he's perfectly healthy. Do you want to hold him? Ryan checked his pocket watch. Uh, I can't. I have a meeting with the Magical High Commission. But I'll see you later tonight. The king headed for the door, only to fall to the floor in pain as the red thread around his wrist began constricting. The thread dragged him back to the bed where he got a full view of his wife's glowing eyes. Listen here, you pea-brained, pseudo-intellectual son of a bitch. She hissed. I did not just go through eight hours of excruciating pain trying to squeeze your son out of my body for you not to hold him after meeting him. W.L. Dear, I didn't mean to I mean I just dash. Hold. Your. Son. And it was all downhill after that. Jane complained. The only time he ever spent time with Simon was when I forced him to. He's too negligent. To his children and to his wife. Oh, come on, Jane. We just had sex last week. Ryan defended himself. That's not the point. Jane snapped. What kind of husband has to be forced to pay attention to any of his three kids? The king flashed a deadpan expression. We have four kids, dear. Jane looked down at her fingers as she contemplated her husband's claim. We have four kids. Oh. Oh, right. We have four kids. Okay, now, let's try to build more on this. Dr. Loxapin continued. Queen Jane, how does it make you feel when King Ryan chooses not to spend time with you and the kids? The demoness crossed her arms, looking away from the doctor and Ryan. It makes me feel hurt. It makes me feel inadequate. Like I'm not good enough. Okay, good. The psychiatrist turned to his king. Now, King Ryan, tell us, what do you do when you're not around your family? Ryan sighed and leaned back in his seat. I do work. Real work. Contrary to popular belief, I don't spend all my time making up riddles. And I do spend time with Simon. Although I haven't given him the scepter, I did allow Indexia to teach him how to make potions. 
He was even able to concoct an elixir that unlocked his muberty form. But it's my responsibility to make sure he's ready to become king. But I can't do that until he grows a spine. Don't talk about my son like that, Jane snarled. He's my son, too, and I'll refer to him however I see fit. All right. All right. Dr. Loxapin got up from his seat and went over to the closet. The psychiatrist came back with a ruler in hand and held it up to the couple. Okay, this is the talking stick. Only the person holding the talking stick is allowed to talk. Loxapin wiped the sweat from his brow and took a deep breath before handing the ruler over to the king. Now, King Ryan, why don't you give us an example of why you think Simon is unfit to be king? Ryan snorted and crossed his arms. Gladly. When he was fourteen, I asked him to practice his acceptance speech for when I was supposed to give him the magic scepter. The magical high commission was gathered to hear the speech and give him constructive criticism. But dash. Prince Simon quivered and trembled as Omnitraxus, Lekmat, Hecapo, Rombuli, his siblings, and his parents stared into his soul. Hundreds of other empty seats behind them did nothing to ease his anxiety at the thought of standing in front of countless others. Feeling the heat of his father's gaze, Simon nervously tugged at the constricting collar of his shirt and looked down at the papers he had written his speech down on. But as much as he wanted to, the prince couldn't raise his voice as he read the speech out loud. Frustrated, Ryan stood up from his seat and walked up to the podium. Simon, how many times do I have to tell you, boy? He grumbled. You have. To speak. Up. Next week, this entire room is going to be full of delegates and nobility. If you can't speak in front of them, then I'm not going to give you the scepter. No, Dad. Please don't make me talk in front of all those people. Simon whimpered. I can't do it. I'm scared. You don't have that luxury, Simon. Ryan scolded sternly. Your royalty. Of course, he couldn't do it, Dash. Because you were pressuring him. Jane snapped. I have the talking stick. Ryan taunted. In a fit of rage, Jane snatched the ruler out of her husband's hand and smacked his head with it. Outraged, Ryan slapped her hand in retaliation. This, in turn, caused a childish slap fight to break out between the couple, much to the ire of their psychiatrist. Just then, Reginald walked in, carrying a tray with three glasses and a bottle of bourbon. I came to see if you needed refreshments. Thank you. Loxapin snatched the bottle from the tray, uncorked it, and took a swig. After a fifteen-minute break, the royal couple managed to re-enter the office quietly. Reginald was still cleaning up the mess, but Loxapin was determined to end this session before sundown. All right, so what happened between you and your son last year, King Ryan? Ryan sighed tiredly. I kept trying to get Simon to speak in front of the crowd, but I realized it would take more than me to get him to change. So, this bastard decided to send my precious crescent roll to St. Olaf's Academy for wayward princes. Jane huffed. Or as I like to call it, St. Olaf's Prison for Neglected Youths and Royalty. Will you stop being so melodramatic? Ryan snapped. St. Olaf's isn't that bad. It's like a boarding school. 
I went to boarding school and I turned out all right. That's debatable. Jane rolled all five of her eyes, much to the ire of Ryan. Okay, but did you really have to throw him out into the street when he had to leave? Oh, I did not throw him into the street. Quite right, sir. Reginald nodded. You threw him onto the drawbridge. He rolled into the street. Ryan shot a glare towards his squire. Oh, who asked you? Go get dinner ready. Jane shook her head. You know, it's honestly a miracle that you didn't screw him up enough that he couldn't have fallen in love. What? Simon's in love? Ryan blinked. How do you know? He told me all about it last week. Jane replied haughtily. Remember last year when those monsters attacked and we sent him away to the Earth dimension for six months? Jane had caught her son writing a poem to Evangeline in his room as she was bringing him a jar of his favorite strawberry jam. After finally getting through the excuses and awkward silence, Jane sat next to Simon on his bed as he told her everything. And so, while we were away on Earth last year, we finally confessed our true feelings for each other. Simon blushed so brightly that it eclipsed his cheek marks. Evangeline is the only person I've ever met who makes me feel safe. Like all the time. I think. I think she's the one, you know? Jane cupped her hands over her heart as a proud smile spread over her lips. My little crescent roll, in love. She whispered happily. Mom, are, are you crying? The queen stroked her child's cheek in a loving manner. Yeah, I just, you grew up so fast, I, I guess I missed it. Ryan shook his head as he interrupted. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Evangeline? Evangeline McSire? As in his squire? That filthy commoner from Dragontown? Ah, uh, no way. My son is not bringing her into this family. Oh, my Valek! Jane fumed. How can you be so cruel? Our son is in love. He thinks he's in love. Ryan snapped back. Okay, maybe this was all a bad idea. Loxapin sighed. I can recommend Dash. Shut up. Ryan and Jane shouted at the psychiatrist in unison. Can you just think about his happiness for a minute? Jane pleaded. He has a chance to experience true love like we did when we first met. Oh, for we were never really in love, Ryan groaned. And how do you know that? Because, you stupid whore, when my father told me he was marrying me off to you, I cast a love spell on myself. A deathly silence fell over the group. You're lying, Jane replied accusingly. No, I'm not. Ryan growled. It happened when I was fourteen. Crescento and Ryan sat in the prince's room while the king discussed his plan to the boy. And so, in exchange for granting us the power we'll need to influence the monsters, you have been betrothed to Jane Rochelay. She's the second cousin to King Hortense Luciter and seventh in line for the throne of the underworld. Wait, betrothed? Ryan scratched his head. That means I have to marry this girl? Yes, my boy, Crescento explained. It's already been arranged. That's why the red thread appeared on your wrist. 
I need you to do this for me, son. All I'm asking for you is a favor. Dad, you're, you're asking me to be someone's husband. Ryan sounded hurt. I can't do that, Dad. I don't like girls or boys. Not like that anyway. Son, the fate of the kingdom is resting on this. I need you to do this. Crescento tried to reason with his boy, but to no avail. Then, the king got a rather wicked idea. And, well, you don't want to end up like the last king in this family who backed out of an arranged marriage, do you? Huh? Ryan blinked in confusion. Well, what happened to him? Well, let's put it this way. Crescento slyly made his way to the bedroom door, prepared to retire for the night. It was eclipsing. Ryan's heart jumped into his throat as his father left a photograph of the Rochelay girl on his nightstand. Why don't you sleep on it, my boy? We'll talk more about it in the morning when the Rochleys visit for breakfast. Good night, son. Ryan fell backwards on his bed, still processing what his father had told him. Everyone in Muni knew that Eclipsing Dragonfly was the most notorious criminal in history. But did it really start because he backed out of his arranged marriage? Unwilling to take such a chance, Ryan placed the picture of the demoness at the foot of his bed, picked up the scepter, twisted the diamond puzzle cube at the top for the right spell. At last, the scepter charged itself for the spell as he gazed at the picture. Riddle me this. I pump my hardest to keep you alive, but if you fall in or out of love, I might not survive. What am I? Ryan aimed the glowing scepter in front of his chest as he whispered the rest of the spell. Answer, a heart. The next morning, Ryan climbed down the stairs and saw his father speaking to two demons from the underworld. As his eyes landed on the girl, Ryan felt his heart skip a beat. He immediately made his way towards her, took her hand in his, and kissed her knuckle. Good morning, and dear. You must be my beautiful fiancé. The demon girl was highly flattered. And that is the only reason I ever seemed to love you, Ryan finished. I swear if I hadn't promised my father on his deathbed that I wouldn't kill you. I would kill you, Jane roared in anger, causing a wall of hellfire to burst up behind her. What kind of man just strings his wife along like that? Well, what kind of demon doesn't believe in divorce even though they're obviously miserable with the marriage? Ryan retorted. You're fucking demons. You should hope for that sort of thing. The duel fell silent, glaring daggers at each other in blind rage. At last, the psychiatrist spoke up. Okay, let's pick this up tomorrow. Ryan and Jane watched as Loxapin left the room. That night, the king and queen went their separate ways for the night. Ryan twiddled the magic scepter in his hands, anxiously wondering what to do. His secret was out, and now things between him and his wife were even worse. From what he understood, the only way to break free from his arranged marriage was if Jane decided to break it off on her own. Luckily, he was able to come up with a spell to convince her. That night, Ryan discreetly climbed up the stairs to Jane's private chambers with the scepter in his hand. With every step, he twisted the diamond puzzle cube at the top to charge it up for its task. Soon, he found himself quietly opening the door to her boudoir and tiptoed towards her bed. Jane mumbled something in her sleep, but he didn't pay it much mind. 
Riddle me this. Ryan whispered as he aimed the scepter at his slumbering wife. I make up dumb limericks. I speak twenty dead languages. I pluck the monster gut strings of seven instruments. I am tall. I am a demon. What am I? The scepter charged with the complex spell, emitting a brilliant light that nearly woke Jane up. With the scepter fully charged, Ryan finished his spell. The answer, a cruel wife. Ryan? Jane yawned out just as the light shot forth from the scepter and into her heart. The demon queen clutched her chest in agony until something appeared to burst inside of her. Liquid crimson spewed out of her mouth, staining her husband's outfit and scepter as she fell to her knees and her eyes rolled into the back of her head. Ryan stood petrified from shock as he realized what was happening. When he said he wanted to break Jane's heart, he had only meant it figuratively. He tried to reverse the spell, but it was too late. Jane's body crumbled to ashes with the exception of her horns. Ryan dropped the scepter to the floor. Oh, Stump, what have I done? Dad? Ryan turned to see his oldest son standing in the doorway. Simon had seen everything. Ryan was about to explain himself when the red thread on his wrist constricted again, bringing him to his knees. Five zombified arms broke through the floor and gripped Ryan's coat, dragging him into the ground. Simon! Help! Ryan dropped the scepter to reach out for his son's arms. Please, son! Help me! Against his better judgment, Simon grabbed his father's arm and struggled to pull him up. The shy prince activated his muberty form in an attempt to break his father free from the undead's grip. But no matter how hard he pulled, Ryan eventually slipped out of his grip, sending Simon stumbling backwards. Once the ground closed up, Simon was left alone in the dark with a pile of ashes and a blood-stained scepter. Chapter 3 Trail by Hellfire Far below Muni's surface, in the kingdom of the underworld, Ryan Dragonfly gripped his wrist in pain as the ribbon grew tighter and tighter. When Jane died, her mother had sensed it and detected Ryan being the only person near her. As a result, she concluded that Ryan must have been the murderer and used the ribbon that bonded him to their family as a means of dragging him down to the underworld. While their cousins, the Luciters, were equally furious and had even threatened to sever all ties with Muni's hierarchy, they demanded that Ryan be given a fair trial. The Rochleys reluctantly agreed. After a full week to prepare and give Ryan a chance to find a lawyer and arrange for the magical high commission to take care of the kingdom in his absence, the trial date arrived. The king of Muni was led through the halls of the Rochley estate, being looked down on by Lucitus and Rochleys alike. Reginald was waiting for him at the defendant table, with Jane's twin brother Jack waiting at the prosecutor's table. Once Ryan was seated, Cersei Rochley walked up to the judge's podium and smacked her gavel down. Let the trial commence, she announced. I object, Ryan shouted indignantly. This court is stacked against me. Cersei lazily tilted her glasses to glance at Muni's monarch. Whatever do you mean? she asked coyly. The prosecutor is Jane's brother, you're her mother, and that is definitely not a jury of my peers. Ryan motioned to the jury box which was occupied by twelve random corpses. Don't worry, sir, Reginald whispered assuringly.
We'll be out of here in no time. With that, Circe motioned to her son. Prosecutor, proceed. Jack bowed in respect before making his opening statement. King Ryan Dragonfly stands accused of murdering Queen Jane, his own wife. We, the Roche family, have graciously been given a chance by our Lucite cousins to prove his guilt and ensure that he is imprisoned in the underworld for the remainder of his life, and that he remains in the underworld long after his death. A deathly silence fell over the crowd until it was broken by the judge. Ah, brilliant as always, my boy. Circe nodded and pointed towards the squire. Defense, your response? Reginald nervously tugged at his shirt collar before walking up to the front. Ahem. Ladies and gentlemen, we will ensure that King Ryan is granted a fair trial and due process. We will also prove that this alleged murder case is nothing more than a false accusation meant to tarnish the king's name. Over the next few hours, Jack and Reginald went back and forth with each other. Jack, having been very close to his sister, informed the court of the couple's obvious martial issues and how they often got physically violent with each other. Reginald countered, however, that Ryan and Jane had actively been attending marriage counseling recently and that not all of their skirmishes ended in violence. After four hours, it seemed that Reginald would win the case when Jack lifted a fist towards him and the squire was engulfed in hellfire before vanishing. Reginald! Ryan gasped in shock at the rising smoke that was once his squire. The former king let out a mournful sigh. Ah, man! And he was just two weeks from retirement. He's not dead, you dumbass! Jack rolled his eyes. We just teleported him back to Muni. And without any other dash. Just then, a servant imp rushed forward to whisper something into the demon lawyer's ear, prompting a sinister grin. Ha, ah, well that is interesting. Your honor, it would appear that we have a surprise witness. Sounds intriguing. Circe nodded. I'll allow it. Jack bowed in respect before pointing to the crowd. The prosecution calls Simon Dragonfly to the stand. Ryan jumped to his feet in shock and looked back down the rows of pews to see for himself. Much to his disbelief, the crown prince of Muni his own son was indeed walking towards the witness stand. In Simon's hands the scepter had taken the form of a violet masquerade mask lined with gold, which he used to hide his other eye that was not covered by his hair. The king was dumbstruck as his son stood in front of Jack and raised his right hand. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Jack asked his nephew. Why, yes, uncle. Simon stammered before taking a seat at the witness stand, avoiding eye contact with his father. Jack flashed Ryan a cheeky smirk before turning back to the surprise witness. Now, Simon, you claim to be the sole witness to the alleged murder of Jane Rochley. In your own words, can you please describe what you saw to the court? For a moment, Ryan allowed a sigh of relief to slip through his lips. He had deduced that Simon had been subpoenaed into testifying by Jack, with the demon clearly being unaware of the boy's crippling anxiety. There was no way Simon would be able to testify against him. Or so he thought. I was. I was sleeping next to Ryan's room on the end night he, when it happened. I heard him, T talking to himself. 
He woke me up, A and I. I followed him upstairs. Simon took a deep breath. Every time he stammered, the mask glimmered around his eyes and his resolve strengthened. By the time I caught up to him, um, he said something about mom being a cruel wife and, uh, I saw him fire the scepter's magic at her, and then she died. Ryan couldn't believe his ears. His son had successfully spoken in front of a large crowd. Jack flashed a wicked grin towards his ex-brother-in-law. No further questions, your honor. Very good. Defense? Your response? Cersei motioned towards Ryan. The king slowly made his way towards the witness stand. Simon, listen to me. He whispered. You don't know the whole story. I wasn't. I didn't mean to. How are you even speaking in front of all these people? You've never been able to do such a thing. I'm channeling a new spell through the scepter. Whenever I look at someone through it, I see them in their underwear. Simon blushed and held up a hand to shield his eyesight from the right half of the crowd as he cleared his throat. Ah, uh, that is, for those who wear underwear. A succubus in the front row leaned forward, winked, and blew a kiss at the shy prince. And don't tell me that I don't know the whole story. I'm shy, not stupid. Simon continued angrily. You and Mom have been at each other's throats for years. You've even brought me, Lazaza, Ilstam, and Nogad into your fights more than once. I even saw you hitting each other several times. I'm honestly surprised that this didn't happen years ago. Enough! Ryan slammed his fists against the podium at his son's accusation. Don't say another word until you put that damn mask down. If you're going to testify against your own father, you should at least have the balls to look him in the eye when you do it. At the sound of those words, Simon took in a deep breath through his nostrils before lowering the scepter and tucking it into his belt. You make me hate being a prince, he declared bitterly. Ryan was shocked by his son's words. You don't mean that. I do mean that, Simon growled his anger rising and his eyes beginning to glow. It's always about what you want. You never just let me be myself. And now, I have to become king early so I can fix your mistakes. Hey, how dare you, Dash? No, how dare you? Simon's voice grew significantly darker. Do you have any idea how hard it was to tell my little brothers and sister that our own father was the one who killed our mother? All right, you too, don't dash. Cersei was interrupted by a magic blast from Simon disintegrating her gavel. Shut up, old woman. The prince barked as his eyes began to glow along with his cheek marks. Simon began to levitate in the air as hellfire burst into existence all around him. Ryan fell backwards in shock as his son carried on in. Rage. Why do you do things like this to me? You wouldn't give me the scepter. You sent me to St. Olaf's. And now you killed my mom. Simon, calm down. Ryan pleaded. What's your problem? You're my problem. Simon shouted through the choke sobs as both of his eyes and cheek marks glowed with righteous fury. You've always been my problem. Every single thing about you is just a problem that I have to deal with on a daily basis. 
The prince's final words echoed around the courtroom. Ryan, the Lucidus, and the Rochleys could only stare in perturbed silence at the young dragonfly's sudden outburst. Once he calmed down, Simon seemed to fully realize what he had done, and he dropped back to the ground. Cupping his hands over his mouth, Simon tearfully turned away from his father and hurried out of the courtroom without another word. Um, let's take a brief recess, the judge suggested. Fifteen minutes later, Ryan was scanning the crowd to see if Simon was among them. Cersei returned to the judge's podium. Has the jury reached a verdict? We have, Your Honor. One corpse stood up. We hereby find the defendant guilty as charged. Ryan's heart sank. W. Wait. Where's Simon? I need to talk to him. Out of the question. Cersei snapped sternly. Ryan Dragonfly, you are found guilty of murdering your own wife, Jane. As punishment, you will be sentenced to three years of torture in the darkest pits of the Rochelay estate. After which, you will be put to death and remain a permanent resident of the underworld. The judge slammed her gavel to make it official, signaling two demon bailiffs to lead the former king away. Ryan struggled angrily, trying to break free. No! Simon! You can't do this to me. Simon, get your filthy claws off me. He shouted. Simon, Simon, Simon. And so, three years later, Ryan found himself on the verge of death in the Rochley's torture pits. Just as all hope seemed lost, Jack Rochley approached him with an interesting offer to avoid any further punishment. Ryan the Riddled would be going back to Muni for one day for a different trial by fire being nice to his son. Chapter 4. Punishment Evangeline McSire, the future queen of Muni, was awakened by the sunlight creeping in through the drapes. Holding up her hand to watch the light glisten off her diamond engagement ring, the Solarian warrior rolled herself over to rub her fiancé's shoulder as she whispered into his ear, My king needs to wake up. The sound of his love's voice was enough to bring a smile to Simon's face as he sat up. Even three years after their trip to earth, it was hard for the young king to believe that he was able to confess his feelings to the woman of his dreams. Good morning, my queen, he whispered as he kissed her knuckles. My love, he kissed her wrist. My darling, he kissed her forearm. My life, he kissed her bicep. My precious. He kissed her shoulder. My world. He kissed her neck. My everything. At last, he kissed her lips. Don't you dare get me all hot and bothered, Simon. Evangeline giggled, gently pushing him away. We both know what that leads to and neither of us have the time. Now, get dressed. You have an alliance to finish rebuilding. I have fifteen new trainees to whip into shape. And then we both have our wedding to plan. Yes, dear. Simon reluctantly moved away from his bride-to-be and went over to his closet to get dressed for the day. As he buckled his belt and adjusted his cufflinks, the shy king glanced at one of his predecessor's puzzle cubes that he'd kept stored in the closet. With a frown, Simon picked up the toy and tossed it in the waste bin on his way downstairs. He didn't want to think about Ryan on this day. Luckily, his disposition brightened as he heard four feet skittering towards him from down the hall. 
Good morning, Daisy, he cooed happily. Come here, Daisy. Where's my baby? Daisy barked playfully as she ran circles around her master. The Pitbull Boxer Mix was a gift to the royal couple from a friend they had met in the Earth Dimension years ago. Knowing that Ryan would disapprove of keeping the animal in the castle, Evangeline had spent the first two years caring for her at her own home. But after Ryan was dethroned and Simon took over, the dog was given free reign of the entire Dragonfly Castle. While most Pitbull Mixes wouldn't live longer than fifteen years, Simon was able to create a special potion that vastly extended her lifespan. She was now thirteen years old with no signs of her health declining. Good girl! Simon laughed as she licked his face. As he continued towards the conference room, the shy king spoke to his pet. You know, Daisy, I still can't believe it's been three years since I took over from Daimene. King Ryan, I thought I'd be sad, but I'm glad I testified against him. And now, I've managed to rebuild our alliance with the Luciders. I'm about to repeal his stupid riddle day so no one has to be catapulted out of the castle anymore, and I'm just a few weeks away from marrying my best friend. I don't care about Ryan's approval anymore. Nobody's gonna make me feel insignificant ever again. While he was distracted talking to the dog, Simon accidentally bumped into a table. Oh, sorry. Sorry. A few minutes later, Simon presented his finalized treaty to the Lucider family, which both parties graciously signed with no arguments. Meanwhile, in the underworld, Ryan Dragonfly screamed in agony as his skin slowly regenerated over his burnt muscles. As a result of his trial, he was sentenced to three years of imprisonment in the torture pits of the Rochley estate. For the past week, the Rochleys had repeatedly dipped him in lava only to force his skin to grow back and dip him right back in. His magical physiology was the only thing keeping him alive, but three years of constant torture was finally beginning to wear him down. This is a historic moment in our family's history, Jack. Cersei cackled as she watched everything from her office. Ryan is slowly losing his will to live. Soon, he will perish and his soul will be trapped here, forever. Hmm, I'm not so sure of that. Jack mused as he chomped on a cigar, studying multiple books at once with his five eyes. Not unless we take action against him. The Rochelay matriarch arched an eyebrow at her son's statement. What are you blabbering about, boy? I've done a bit of research, mother. Jack explained with a sinister scowl. Apparently, before his death, King Brian Dragonfly ordered his body to be buried under the stump that gave him the magic scepter. So? Haven't you noticed that none of the Dragonfly descendants who ever wielded that damned scepter have ever turned up in the underworld after their deaths? Not even King Tiberius the Wicked who once sold his own soul to Uncle Valkus. Jack made his way to the window, taking great joy in seeing his ex-brother-in-law being tortured by the demons. I believe that by placing his body into the stump, Brian created a private afterlife for the kings of Muni. But I have a plan to keep Ryan here. As long as that ribbon is wrapped around his wrist, Ryan cannot leave the underworld. But a special clause in the contract that wed him to Jane declares that he will only be able to remove it if he completes a task given to him by a member of Jane's family. So all we have to do is give him a task that he absolutely cannot complete. 
Cersei's lips curved upwards at her son's suggestion. I'm listening. Twenty minutes later, Ryan found himself being escorted into Jack's office. The former king trembled from the constant agonizing pain he had been through over the past few years. Happy birthday, Ryan! Jack hissed sarcastically. Please, Jack. I'm sorry, all right. Ryan wheezed. All I wanted was to break up with her. I never meant to kill her. And that makes it all right? Jack sneered bitterly. That's supposed to just what? Bring her back? Well, I've got some good news for you. You're getting twelve hours of bail before we drag you back down for your execution. We'll send you back to show you what you've missed out for the last few years, and then, KKKCHT. The demon dragged his thumb over his neck before unceremoniously teleporting his ex-brother-in-law up to the surface. Cersei stepped out of the shadows. You didn't tell him he could save himself from more torment if he said one nice thing to Simon. Jack winked at his mother. I know. Back on Muni, Simon was the first to sense Ryan's return. He pulled the paper bag out of his coat pocket and proceeded to breathe into it at a rapid pace. Once he'd calmed down, he snapped his fingers. H.H. Hecapo? In the blink of an eye, the magic blacksmith appeared before his king. Yes, your majesty? Bring. Be bring Ryan T to my throne room he ordered. Two more Hecapos spawned into existence and raced off to retrieve their disgraced monarch and bring him in. Ryan muttered to himself in annoyance as he watched the peasants go about their day. The offices that were once used to collect riddle answers had gone into horrifying disrepair, much to his fury. At last he was roughly thrown to the floor at the foot of the throne, face to face with a growling dog. Evangeline pulled Ryan up to his feet and motioned towards the young man who wielded the scepter. Presenting his most esteemed majesty, King Simon the Shy. Simon the Shy? Ryan spluttered indignantly. What kind of name is that for a king? The kind for a king who? Simon took another deep breath before allowing himself a proud smirk. Who was able to rebuild the broken alliance? Who cares about the alliances? Ryan fumed, startling Simon. It's riddle day and not a single peasant is trying to solve my riddle. Is it not bad enough that you testified against me in court and sent me to hell? And why are you still wearing that ridiculous outfit? Ryan pinched the bridge of his nose and sighed in disappointment. You are an embarrassment. Now get off of my throne. Clearly, I need to fix all of your dash. No. Simon interrupted, crossing his arms in defiance. Ryan couldn't believe his ears. What? And no. Against all odds, Simon stood his ground. Why you failed the kingdom? And I. I had to spend the last three years trying to make up for your, for why your mistakes. The magical H. High Commission made me king of Muni, eh, and I say. I say you have to pay for what you've done. Eh, and that that's final. Ryan spluttered in disbelief. Who in the hell do you think you are? He bellowed, earning himself a punch to the face from an unseen assailant. After the initial shock wore off, Ryan realized that he had been thrown to the ground from the impact. After massaging his tender flesh, he saw that his hand had been coated in blood. The punch had somehow cut his cheek. 
He is King Simon, the Shy. Evangeline sneered as she massaged the area around her diamond engagement ring. And you will speak to him with the highest of respect. Simon got up from his seat and proceeded down the steps towards Ryan, still hiding his face. Uncle Jack told me that you're here for twelve hours. So I thought it'd be a great opportunity to have you do some humanitarian work to see how well I've handled everything. Oh, and, uh, happy birthday. And that was the beginning of Ryan's last day on Muni. For the next six hours, he was dragged along by other workers as they tore down the decrepit riddle offices to make room for affordable housing complexes. It broke him to see his beloved holiday so readily cast aside like an infectious disease. While he was working, the citizens looked upon him with disdain and contempt. It had become common knowledge of what he'd done in the time he was away. However, he was soon called back to the throne room. I... I called you in here because... Simon eventually had to resort to holding the scepter up to his face once again. Ahem. Because I don't think you're cut out for humanitarian labor after all. Ryan sighed in relief. My son! I knew you'd come around! And not a moment too soon! Just put everything back to normal so that I, uh, we can get back to solving that riddle. Just like we always wanted. No, Ryan. Simon replied, sternly. I called you in here for a different assignment. Today, I am officially going to announce that I am repealing the Riddle Day Decree. What? Ryan gawked. Be but nobody's solved it yet. You can't do this to me, Simon. I already have. Simon held up a parchment with his signature at the bottom, detailing the complete cancellation of the dreaded holiday. All I have to do is give this my official stamp of approval, and Riddle Day will be gone forever. And since you care so much about public speeches, you're gonna announce my decision for me. Simon pulled a lever beside the throne, causing Ryan to stumble backwards until he found himself in a large wooden bucket. Whoa, 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 whoa! You're catapulting me? He fumed. Yes. Simon pulled the lever further sending Ryan flying out of the castle at an alarming speed. Due to his years of torture, the king was unable to activate his muberty wings to cushion his fall. After a few minutes at the mercy of the winds, the disgraced king crash-landed somewhere on the outskirts of Dragontown. Ryan picked up his glasses with a quivering hand and placed them back over his eyes. The lenses were cracked from the impact, but he was still able to see out of them. And what he saw filled him with dread, he had landed in the middle of the Solarian training grounds, battered and weary before all the barbaric warriors to see him. A quartet of Solarians approached the fallen king, failing to hide their smirks. I thought we came out here to check on Ryan the Riddled. Crystal snickered. But that's... Ryan the Rejected! Jacob howled, causing his friends to burst out laughing. Ryan the Rejected? Catelyn giggled. I think you mean. Ryan, dejected. Ryan watched as the four warriors laughed and pointed at his expense. Normally, he wouldn't have been bothered by such childish insults especially coming from people he considered beneath him, but with his cracked lenses their laughing faces had been multiplied. Coupled with his own family all but disowning him, the disgraced king of Muni finally broke down in tears.
The Solarians noticed this and stopped laughing. Whoa. Did we do this? Crystal asked. I dunno. Libra shrugged. Maybe our jokes were too mean. No, it's all Simon's fault. Ryan sobbed. Ever since I came back, he's just been trying to get rid of me. He's even going to repeal my riddle day decree before anyone's even solved my ultimate riddle. I don't know what I've done to deserve this treatment. Why won't he listen to me anymore? The Solarians had never seen Ryan in such a mess. Taking pity on their former monarch, the group approached him. Crystal was the first to speak up. You know, I'm not Simon, but if I were in his shoes, I'd want my dad to appreciate my accomplishments. Yeah. Libris nodded. Every kid wants to make their dad proud. They just want to do it their own way. If you're just honest and tell him how you feel, then I'm sure Simon will listen. Jacob agreed, earnestly. And remember, no matter what happens between you two, you'll always be Simon's dad. Catelyn added. And he'll always be your son. Ryan's mind slowly processed what the warriors had suggested. A smile spread over his lips. Yes, yes, that's right. That's right. Simon is my son. I've always controlled Simon, and I always will. Before the quartet of Solarians could respond, the ground split open and two demons popped up. Ryan Dragonfly, we're here to escort you back to the underworld. One of them declared. What? But I still have six hours. Count Jack has been monitoring your progress. The other one explained. He doesn't see the point in wasting any more time. Ryan pivoted on his heels and tried to get some distance between himself and the escorts. They chased after him, of course, unaware that he was leading them into a trap. Riddle me this! Ryan quickly aimed his hands at the charging demons. I come in three forms, but this is my solid state, and when I'm hard enough, on me you can skate. What am I? Answer, ice. A flash of cold light shot forth, caking the demons in a thick, constricting layer of frost. They were now completely immobilized. Ryan rested his hands on his knees, taking deep breaths as he glared into the frost-covered eyes of the demons sent to drag him back to the underworld. Simon, he growled as his face slowly turned red. Simon, he clenched his fists and straightened his posture. Simon, that's IT. Ryan marched back towards the castle like a man on a mission and a bat out of hell. Who does that little crotch spot think he is? He fumed to himself as he forcibly made his way past delegates and guards alike. He thinks he can just take over after all the hard work I've put in. Oh. Well, he's got another thing coming. Oh, just wait till I get in there. I'm gonna give him a piece of my mind. Simon and Evangeline were in the middle of a meeting with the Magical High Commission when Ryan burst in. Simon could see the demon escorts half-frozen and running up behind his predecessor to drag him back to the underworld. All he had to do was distract Ryan long enough for them to grab him. Ryan, I already told you, you're not getting the throne or scepter back. You're just a, a failure. Failure? Failure? Listen here, boy. Ryan snarled as he approached the throne. 
Once again, Simon hid behind the scepter out of fear of his predecessor's outburst, with Daisy growling at Ryan as he got closer. Regardless, Ryan continued using his magic to blow back his demon escorts. I'll tell you who the failure is. Riddle me this. I am a sniveling coward. I am a pathetic whelp. I am completely useless. And I am beyond all help. Who am I? Can't answer it? All right, I'll tell you. The answer is the only person who has brought shame upon this family from the very beginning. Someone who doesn't even deserve to be called Dragonfly. And that... If I were in his shoes, I'd want my dad to appreciate my accomplishments. Every kid wants to make their dad proud. They just want to do it their own way. And remember, no matter what happens between you two, you'll always be Simon's dad. And he'll always be your son. Those words echoed in Ryan's mind, stunning him into silence. He felt a knot in his stomach as his mouth went dry. Everyone stared in patient silence. Even the two demons who were supposed to drag him back to the underworld were curious as to why Ryan had suddenly paused. As the former king stared at his son, he felt his anger being replaced with disappointment in himself at the thought of blaming him for all of his problems. But after a few more moments of silence, Ryan decided not to waste his last chance. Th that. Ryan hung his head in shame. That's Emmy. Simon reluctantly lowered the scepter from the front of his face to look back at the former king. What? I. I'm the one who failed Muni. Ryan cried. You were right. I wasted all my time coming up with pointless riddles. I sent my own son away. I. I killed your own mother with my reckless use of the scepter. And I nearly destroyed our alliance with the Luciders because of my selfish actions. The only thing I ever cared about was solving that blasted riddle. And for what? Let's face it, we never accomplished anything of any significance while I was in charge. Simon was speechless at Ryan's sudden display of humility, as were everyone else present. But then, Ryan smiled as he motioned towards his boy. But here you are, just a few years on the job, and you're already doing better than I ever did. Simon felt his eyes begin to water. This was, by far, the nicest thing his father ever said to him. Be but dash. I'm not mad that you testified against me. Ryan continued unabashedly. He knew at this point, whatever he said wouldn't mean much to his child, but Simon deserved to hear him say it. If anything, it finally made me realize just how brave you truly are. I'm proud of you, Simon. No. Much to everyone's shock, Ryan bowed with the most sincere smile. King Simon, the shy. Goodbye, son. Simon could only watch, helplessly, as the two demons opened a portal to the underworld and dragged Ryan down the obsidian steps. At last, he found his voice. W, wait. Come back. He dropped the scepter and ran towards the portal as it began to close, but it was too late. Simon fell to his knees in despair, crying and clawing at the marble floor in a vain attempt to get Ryan back. R, R. Father! Evangeline and Daisy ran over to comfort the shy king. Back in the underworld, Jack pinned Ryan against the wall in fury. How? he demanded furiously. 
How did you do it? Do what? Ryan stammered in fear. I'm back. Do with me what you want. Execute me and get it over with. Don't keep me in suspense. What kind of sneaky trick are you trying to pull? A wall of hellfire burst up behind Jack. How could you have known what to say to Simon? T. There was nothing sneaky about it, Ryan confessed. I meant every word. I'm proud of him. He's a better king, no, a better man than I'll ever be. Having heard enough, Jack extended his fingernails into claws and tore out the former king's throat. Suddenly, Ryan levitated into the air with a luminous aura surrounding him. The blood that had once been pouring out from his neck quickly rushed back and before the wound sealed itself. What are you doing? Jack gawked. I am not doing anything. This isn't me. Ryan stammered as the infinity marks on his cheeks glowed brighter than ever before. His body became transparent, painlessly fading away into nothingness. At last, Ryan Dragonfly disappeared, leaving the red ribbon that had once been wrapped around his wrist behind. No, no. Jack fell to his knees in defeat. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. Back on Muni. Hours after Ryan returned to the underworld, Simon found himself at his desk with the Riddle Day repeal still unfinished. Instead of giving the repeal his seal of approval, Simon had fished his father's puzzle cube out of the trash and fiddled with it for hours. Despite what Ryan might have believed, Simon was able to change the cube into all fifteen of its different shapes and match all the colors, expertly. Daisy had refused to leave her master's side ever since the afternoon, trying her best to console him with her company. Soon enough, Evangeline entered the room and made her way towards her fiancé. Are you all right? She whispered soothingly into her husband's ear. You haven't said a word since this afternoon. Simon set the puzzle cube aside to look up at his beloved wife. I'm fine, he replied. I guess, I guess I just didn't know my dad had it in him. The shy king glanced over to a photograph atop the bookshelf. The picture depicted Ryan happily carrying a two-year-old Simon on his shoulders, making the king wonder when it all went wrong for them. I can't let this happen again, he decided. I'm, I'm gonna be the best dad I can be to our future kids, Evangeline. Oh, the future queen blushed at Simon's bold declaration. Is that a promise? In that case, we'll have to make sure we plan a honeymoon in the near future. But for now, you should get some rest. I'll join you in a moment after I take Daisy for a walk. Simon watched as his fiancée and their pet turned to exit the room. Hey, Evangeline? He called out. Yeah? I love you. He smiled sadly. I really do. You know that, right? Evangeline walked back to her fiancée to deliver a gentle kiss to his lips. Always, baby, she promised. Once they were gone, Simon glanced at the pair of golden glasses he had once offered to Ryan as a birthday present. With a sniffle and a smile, he tore the repeal in half and took out the original Riddle Day decree. Even though you used to say so much mean stuff to me, I guess I still want to make you proud. With a whiteout marker in hand, Simon crossed out the portion of the decree that said, Participation mandatory, 
and in its place wrote, Participation optional. And finally, the young king completed the amendment with his seal of approval. Seven came before Ryan. If you subtract the princess, add four more reigns to his domain, and then what gets vanquished? 